to Sugar Coated. I'm your host, Adrian Garland, the CEO and founder of She Leads Media. For far too long, women have been conditioned to sugarcoat their words, their actions, and the way they show up in the world, and to conform to certain cultural norms and ideals. This is inherently designed to keep those who are outside of the norm from gaining power, prestige, wealth, and influence, preventing more women from being recognized and respected as the powerful leaders that we truly are. Join me each week as we dive into raw conversations with remarkable, uncompromising, and inspirational women that will encourage you to strip away your sugar coating and move boldly in the direction of your magnificent dreams. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Sugar Coated. I'm your host, Adrian Garland, and I am so excited to welcome my next guest here on the show today. Her name is Dr. Bonnie Wims, and she is my friend. She is a fellow podcaster, and she is a therapist. So welcome to Sugar Coated, Dr. Bonnie Wims. Thank you. Thank you. And you said those in the exact right order. Friend, podcaster, therapist. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I am so excited to talk to you today for a variety of different reasons. Uh, but I would love for the audience to get to know you a little bit more. So, can you kind of tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be a therapist? Sure, sure. Well, I didn't become a therapist until I was fifty. I'm sixty now. Um, so it, it was a second sort of career for me, although it was always the primary. I just couldn't get to it. Uh, it took me 50 years to do that. But, oh, well, you know, everything happens that way. So you just appreciate it more, don't you? Yeah. yeah so I, you know, coming straight, I grew up in uh, Colorado and coming out of a family of seven siblings. And neither of my parents graduated high school. They grew up in farms in Illinois. So in the family, college really wasn't spoken about. It wasn't even a thought. It wasn't mentioned. It wasn't an expectation. So mm. I didn't even have the discussion with anyone, even though in my mind, I knew I'd taken like some, you know, high school level psychology that I just loved. Mm. I didn't know how I became, you became a psychologist. I didn't know what it I knew you had to go to college, but, <laughs> but I just graduated, went to work, you know, and so moved out on my graduation day and went to work. And I worked, I got lucky, got a good job in an insurance company. And I say lucky because it was a good career that helped me raise my boys, you know, my husband and I, and it was fine. I just hated every minute of it. <laughs> 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 if that if that makes any sense to anybody out there. Um, I think so. <laughs> always knew I wanted to be a psychologist, so I would take classes. I just, you know, I was like picking up drips and drabs of credits over the years where I would take get all motivated and take a night course. You know, I'm working a full-time job. I have two children. People know the drill. Like there's time for me was always the last thing in the day. And so I could never sustain it. You know, I could never keep going to school until we moved to Boston and my husband got a, a job that was much more uh, in sales. So we could kind of breathe a little bit easier and relax. And I went back to school and so got my finished my undergrad in Boston. And then we moved to London, England. And that's where I got my doctorate, which is sounds like a funny thing to do 
and it kind of is a funny thing to do. Why would you get it in London? But it's just how it how it worked out. And I'm so grateful that it did because I think it really informed how I work. Mm. So I started my private practice there in London and then we moved back and now I have one in Manhattan. And it's um, every day is a joy. Mm. I wake up, I bounce out of bed a little more the other day because I had a podcast debut, but every day I, you know, I look at my calendar and I just get happy. It's everything I always wanted to do. And I knew that that was true. I just, you know, at the age, I guess it was 45, because it took me five years to get my doctorate. So at the age of 45, you know, you start to wonder, does your brain still work like that? Like, can I, can I go to school? Can I write papers, do presentations? All these things that were expected of me. And I did. I oh did, you know. So the schooling itself, the hardest thing I've probably ever done. And the hardest thing that I can say, you know, was mine. I did that. And it's, it's quite a thing for your confidence at the age of 50 to say, yeah, I can still learn. I can still grow, which is part of my whole philosophy, you know, in therapy, which we'll get into. But the yeah. idea to never stop, you know, always be curious and always move forward. So that's kind of how that worked out. That. Yeah. But that's so inspirational. I think to so many people that are listening you know, whatever age that you're at, it doesn't matter. Even if you start at 60 or 70 or whatever, it's never too late. And when we have that desire within us, you know, that, and it's, it's a gift because what you do is truly a gift. If you don't ever pursue that, that's where I think a lot of regret can come from. Sure. But just because you haven't done it yet, doesn't mean that you'll never do it. And I think that that is like such an inspirational message, especially for people who are like wanting to start their business, wanting to go back to school. You know, life does get in the way sometimes, but we should never totally put our dreams away forever. No, never. Like I think about, because then I graduated and then I had to learn how to run a private practice. Yeah. I didn't have a business degree. So, you know, my manager, which is my husband, uh, <laughs> he was this really supportive kind of driver behind it. And so trying to understand how to run the everydays of a business. And that's a lot to learn when you haven't taken any business classes, when you don't even, you know, profit and loss. What? What was? Yeah. You know, I'm a therapist. I know how to talk to people about their concerns around their mental health. I don't know anything about that stuff. So challenging myself again in mm. my private practice now um, to go after and try to understand how to market my business, how, you know, all the aspects of, I don't have a big staff. And so that's another challenge. And if I said, well, I don't know how, so I can't do that. Well, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done any of the things that I've done in probably the last 10 years because I didn't know how to do any of it. And yeah, you just took one step, you know, I did the next thing. So, yeah. I love that. It's funny. Yesterday, I had an amazing conversation with another incredible woman. I feel so grateful that I get to, to do this or that I have created this platform that allows me to talk to like these spectacular women. But we were talking about the topic of finance and, you know, that 
a lot of women are a little afraid, and that's a sweeping statement. There are many women who are maybe intimidated by finance, but, you know, she went back to when you're, you know, whatever, two years old, you know, you don't know how to use a a fork. But does that mean that you don't start to learn, pick it up, drop it, like all the things that you don't know how to do, but you eventually master. Mm -hmm. It's the same exact thing as what you're talking about now. We just put so much pressure on ourselves when we're older that we have to get it right or we have to know how to do something in order to do something. It's like you go from not knowing and you're, you're expecting yourself to be an expert. Like, doesn't even make any sense. No, no. <laughs> no, exactly. And, you know, I think that can manifest itself in all sorts of ways for women, I think, is too, in the in the work environment. We were talking before this, and a really common thing that happens with women, I think, and not all women, and it happens to men too, but in my experience and, and a lot of research shows that women are t- have that tendency for the imposter syndrome, you know, that sense that, I'm here, but anytime somebody's going to figure out, I shouldn't be. And I, you know, I work with a lot of women around that issue because nothing in the reality should make them think that, you know, they could be very successful in their career. They could have a, you know, kind of even have it all, but they've got a nagging feeling that somehow it's all going to fall apart and someone's going to find out they're not, they're not who they say they are, even though they've done all the work to get there and they should be. They should be sitting where they're sitting. And mm. so we dive into why does that happen? You know, what is what is happening to you when you think about that? And a lot of times, a lot of times, it ends up being a more deeply seated sort of uh, sense of worth, lack, lack of worth deep down yeah. inside that stems from something, something long ago. And if you really spend a little bit of time with people, it comes up pretty quickly what what people will say, because they'll say, I feel like that. And I'll say, well, how long have you been saying that to yourself? Oh, my whole life. Can you think of a time where you said it, you know, quite strongly that you reacted to something? And pretty quickly, we can bring some of these unconscious or out of our awareness thoughts forward. And people start talking about a time when they were, you know, whatever, 12, and this happened, or another time when this happened, and somebody undermined their confidence. Somebody said something that they took in really deeply. Mm. That made them doubt themselves. And I'll t- quickly tell a story. When I graduated, you know, I was on cloud nine. I did it. I graduated and I, you know, I defended my Viva. I had to go in and be in a Viva and defend my thesis. And it was just, you know, challenged me in all sorts of ways. I did it. And mm. shortly after that, we had a conference. I went to the conference and a lot of people had known that I was graduate. I just graduated. So they, lots of congratulations, you know, just feeling everybody knows in that circle, just how hard that was. And this teacher came up to me who didn't know me, probably taught me one course once, like just kind of a peripheral of what I was doing. And he congratulated me. And then as I was walking away, he said, you know, you're lucky I wasn't in the room on your Viva. What? And I turned around and looked at him. And I can still feel it today, Adrian. There was something that was that moment. That was my imposter moment. He looked into my soul. Oh my God. And told me I didn't belong. And I honestly can still feel it. <laughs> 10 years on, a stranger practically to me who said, why? So, you know, he was projecting, obviously something was going on for him. I know that now. 
But at the time, he, you know, popped that balloon. I just was deflated. I could not believe that he knew I didn't really deserve that doctorate. And I'll tell you, it it impacted me in all sorts of ways. And I was reluctant to even use the, the doctor in front of my name for a long time. I would just, I, I talked around it, but it really was because of that. I know that now. And I've managed, you know, I've worked through it. <laughs> You've got to do your own work if you're going to be a therapist. But it was really a particularly bad time for me. And I, and I can, you know, I have other things behind that, that set me up to be able to be kind of impacted by his comment. I had my own insecurities from my own history of course, that kind yeah. of made me vulnerable to that. And so I had to work on that. I had to understand how come that was, because you know what happens out of that? If you don't work on it, then you, maybe you become a perfectionist because I got to prove him wrong. I got to, yeah. you know, people that are uber competitive or they go really extreme on certain things because inside their head, they've got to prove that one person wrong. You'll find mm. that a lot when you start digging into it. So imposter syndrome, perfectionism, a lot of times those go hand in hand. Oh my God. I'm I'm overwhelmed with how, you know, here everyone is at this conference that is supposed to be helping people yeah. with their mental health. And and for someone who is in that field and at that level to be so incredibly just mean yeah. mean yeah i mean it it doesn't even matter like the fact that he had his own issues and said that to you and took it out on you and everything i just don't understand why in the world anybody would feel the need to do that to someone else and he he more than anybody else knows what type of an impact that would have on you yeah that's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I mean, it really, yeah, yeah. But it's helpful for me to be able to point at that and see that as a pivotal moment that actually helped me grow because yeah. he hit on a button that I already had, you know, he didn't yeah. create it. Yeah. It was already there from my own childhood and challenges around self-worth that I probably hadn't fully healed. And I do feel thanks to that, mm that I targeted that again because I saw it, I felt it, I heard it. And I was shocked at how he was able to take me down with that one blow, Yeah, you know, actually took me down to my knees. Yeah. And, and like, why? He's practically a stranger to me. Why would I let that impact me that way? But we do, you know, yeah. and when we're vulnerable to those things, it can show up in all sorts of ways. I think so many people can relate to that as you're, you know, recounting that story. I'm thinking of like a very similar story that I have. And it in the same way that, you know, no matter how old we are, we still have the capacity to to do and to learn new things. Even when we are older and we think that we've worked through some things, there are still vulnerabilities that we have. So like the message I think is, you know. You, you you might be resilient, but you do need to constantly sort of be healing, right? Yeah, you, yeah. You, you always need to have that awareness because being blindsided like that, you know, here, here you are, you know, you are so high, right? And it's like, uh-uh, knock you down. Mm -hmm. And there are definitely a lot of people in this world that that is what their MO is. 
And I think, unfortunately, so many women feel this, right? I mean, you see in in the media, if a woman, I'm thinking about, you know, the company, the, the wing, some or Rent the Runway, some of these women founders have built these incredible businesses that, like all businesses, have faced challenges, but they're vilified in the media when things kind of go wrong. And that's a very different approach than if some of these male entrepreneurs make these terrible mistakes. They might be dragged through the media, but the next day they're they're back on top again. And so what can we do as women, number one, women in business or women entrepreneurs, what can we do to kind of, you know, I don't know if this is the right word, but like, what can we do to almost protect ourselves from that and not let it get into our soul? Because then, then we spend so much time having to build ourselves back up from there. We lose a lot of time. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, the other night we were out to dinner, my husband and I, and the waiter came up and he was quite rude. Just, you know, <laughs> New York waiter. And it was fine. He was just really abrupt, probably really, really, really busy. But this is what happened. This is the example I want to set for you of how women and men sometimes react differently to situations. So he came up, you know, abrupt, whatever, whatever, walks away from the table. Simultaneously, at the same exact time, my husband and I say these words, I say, I wonder what we did that pissed him off. <laughs> my husband says, I guess that guy's having a bad day. <laughs> simultaneously yeah. we said the same thing but I faced it toward us we've done something wrong and my husband faced it out and said I wonder what's going on with him mm. incredibly healthy my husband with you know he's just kind of had the background and the parenting that has really given him that secure sense of self which is amazing but mm. those of us that didn't get that gift you have to build it for yourself and you have to notice repeatedly. This is the maintenance work that shows up ever so often. It just comes out of your toes and you think, oh, wow. I noticed that. And I thought, Bonnie, mm. I heard it. And so that's what I think women tend to. I, I present to some women's groups around some of these issues. And we were talking about self-sabotage. We we're talking about how we can be our own worst enemies. And a woman gave an example in a boardroom where she felt she's the only woman and she just repeatedly felt interrupted and she felt invalidated and she eventually just stayed quiet. Ugh. And we started talking about it. And I said, you know, I have a, my husband and two boys. I grew up in, I joked when they were younger, we even had a male dog. I'm like, can we get any female energy in here with me? I raised two wonderfully sensitive feminist men who are kind and caring. But when those three men in my life get together, I cannot get a word in edgewise. They Oof. are talking about this, talking about that, talking over each other, laughing, having this. And <laughs> I am, I, you know, I keep trying to interject and it's, you know, eventually, but I'm much better when I have them. I prefer I get them one-on-one -on -one and we can have a real <laughs> chat. They're not trying to hurt each other. They're not trying to tear each other down. It's just how they communicate. They get excited. They get loud. They talk on top of each other. So we were talking about how much in these boardrooms, and I'm not saying there aren't sexist situations out there where women are definitely uh, ignored, mistreated, and invalidated in this situation. But then we do the next step. We decide that it's valid. We decide we should be quiet. 
we decide the fact that they talked on top of us and interrupted us means we should be quiet. That's mm. the step that we're doing. And that's the step we have control over. So we were talking about this woman who felt invalidated in the boardroom. And she said, yeah, eventually I just get quiet. And I said, what if you didn't get quiet? So, oh, it's just such hard work. I said, absolutely, it's hard work. My throat hurts sometimes when my <laughs> boys are all around because we're all shouting. It's just <laughs> in happiness. We're just shouting. You have to put yourself into position of saying, I have decided their behavior validates something unworthy in me. So I have nothing to offer here, which is the opposite of what's true and the opposite of what you should be doing. So it requires us to watch our self-talk because what we do then is we take ourselves down the next step and the next step, like you said, and we waste so much time because now we've decided maybe they're right. Maybe I shouldn't be here. Maybe this, you know, just all of this negativity because we're negatively inclined, not just women, men, you know, it's evolution still lives inside of us. We're worried about getting eaten by a wildebeest, even though it doesn't (laughs) happen. But we're always watching. And so women can really internalize and take that into a place that it doesn't belong, even mm-hmm. if they mean it, even if they think you you shouldn't be in that room. We then believe it where men just say, I don't care. I don't care yeah. what you think. I For still you, have something Sam. valid. Yeah. yeah, I yeah. have something valid to say. And I don't care. I'll talk on top of you. I'll interrupt you. I will stay in this room until you hear what I have to say versus the quietness, the retreat, or the just internal voice that says, you know, you don't belong here. It's, we do it to ourselves. We, we can't control some of the things, but we certainly can control our self-talk and the way in which we internalize the messages. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so interesting. I'm, I'm, as you're talking, I'm, I'm visualizing this scenario, you know, playing out. And I do think there's also And maybe I'm projecting, but sometimes when a situation like that comes up and we start to go quiet, we almost say to ourselves, or at least maybe I do, like, okay, boys, like, blah, blah, talk. I'm going to be quiet because I'm like, you're not worth my time. It's almost like a defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, you're not going to listen to me. I'm going to shut up. And you're not going to get my wisdom, right? So, but that's that's also not good. That's a nice self-sabotaging behavior, yeah. right? Because the outward projection of it is she's quiet and doesn't have anything to add. Mm-hmm. But then I think there's also this socialization layer, which what you said, like, okay, maybe we're being talked over. Maybe we decide like, okay, I shouldn't speak at this point, but for us to then either decide to like get in the mix and start raising our voices and talking over other people or waiting till there's a pause and then jumping in and saying, before we move on, I have something that I need to add. Mm-hmm. That type of behavior is not like by society's standards, it's it's not a feminine characteristic. Right. So that's, I think, why women don't necessarily take that next step because they almost don't know what to do because they've never seen someone do it. Right. So right. like, what are some of the things in that exact situation? Because I think that's such a perfect situation that so many people have been in, whether it's a boardroom or a sales meeting or, or you know, a roundtable discussion. 
like from a practical point of view, what can women say, do, use their body language to indicate? How how can we step up to the table and at least get our 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 time at the table? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you. I think we've all experienced female bosses. I have certainly who sort of morphed into the guy. Like they're loud, they're brash, they interrupt. They, you know, it's like they've said, okay, I'm, I can't beat them, join them. And I'm not saying that. Like if that's how it works for you, fine. I wouldn't criticize that. But have you ever been in a, like a crowded, you've run conferences. If you start to talk, but you don't raise your voice, but you just consistently start talking in a measured voice and people see that, eventually they quiet down because you don't stop talking. You keep talking Mm. and the room gets quieter. All of a sudden, I've seen it happen a million times. Somebody very calmly starts to talk. So if that's yours, that would be my way. Absolutely. I wouldn't shout. I wouldn't interrupt. But I would when I got the chance and then I wouldn't stop. Even if they start talking again, I wouldn't stop talking. I'd make sure that I continue my thought. Then they look rude for, you know, shouting over you if you're still measuredly talking. There's all kinds of strategies of how it can work for people. But I'm saying don't you don't necessarily turn into what you're competing against, but maybe be able to own uh, that woman in the in the group when we were talking. I said, what is it that you wanted to say? And we gave her the air, the space to Mm. say. And, you know, not in her industry. She could have been talking gibberish for all I know. It sounded really good. And so we were all like, that's brilliant. And the way you just said it was brilliant. So it might not be that place. She may need to go. She may need to find a different place if they're not going to tolerate her and give her that opportunity. Because she, once again, we find ourselves alone. We're the only Mm. woman in the room, aren't we? A lot of times. So we don't feel like we have an ally. We don't feel like we can sort of lean on someone or get the support. Ever so often, there are guys out there that would definitely be allies, but mob mentality, you get a bunch of men in a room, you know, uh, we're talking about sports and we're talking about it really <laughs> loud. And so it's this, <laughs> that's maybe that's projecting my own experience. Um, I do. <laughs> I'm talking about owning your truth, right? Owning who you are and then actively finding a place that deserves that talent, right? Mm. They deserve you. It's mm. um, Women don't mm. always know their worth. They don't own their worth and they certainly don't look at the situation and say, the situation is wrong and I need to find a place where I fit better. We look at the situation and say, ooh, what did I do wrong in that situation? You know, it's a very different way to look at it. And I'm not saying at times it isn't good to self-reflect on what was my role in this. Absolutely. But that target into our self-worth, that's what we have to watch for. When we actually leave feeling as if we have no value or we don't our value is not enough for the room because that's not true. That's not true. Mm. Obviously, we know that's not true. In this world, I mean, we still we still have so many opportunities where women are just not treated equally. I mean, you see it in the news all the time with the sports teams, with the you know the soccer team having to fight for equal pay. It's still actively mm. a problem. So you're not dreaming this up. You know, when you're in a room and don't feel welcome, you're probably not. So it's about Owning mm-hmm. your own truth, not trying to become somebody else, but also finding the rooms that feel good because, I mean, some of them just don't, you know, they yeah. really, yeah. What I love about that too, the the second piece of that, because there is, it's like, what do you do in this situation? Maybe the strategies work. 
maybe they don't, but but even that, like stop internalizing like there's something wrong with me mm-hmm. and start like your your husband did at dinner. What's the matter with him? Yeah. Right. And you can you can have that perspective in a professional setting yeah. and say, honor yourself and say, this is not for me. Yeah. You are not for me. And there's I think that there's so much power in that. And we also have to be careful that we're also not just running away from a situation. Like it's sure. almost like going through like these check marks in your mind, like, okay, I tried this and now I'm recognizing it's not me, it's them. And it's okay to leave. And it's probably okay to even verbalize the reason that it is that you're leaving that boardroom or moving on because you do want to let others know that that is not okay. It's not because that's going to continue. If we, it's like play it out. If we're, you know, if we say that's not for me, that's not for me. Now I'm I'm talking against myself before I even get the words out. <laughs> but one of the things that it makes me think of that also excites me is, you know, this idea that if that is not for me, maybe not even going to find where it is for me, but to create where it is for me. Yeah. To me, that gets me so excited and that is what I think women can do right? Let's create something that is for us and yeah. supportive of us. Yeah. That's innovation. That's entrepreneurship. And that stuff gets me excited. We just yeah. need to to kind of figure out what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a big difference uh, between running away from something and leaving to choose to go to something else that you decided is better for you. You know, running away, I totally agree with you. That is not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about allowing yourself to be run out of a room or allowing yourself to be made to feel, because if it's where you want to be and it's what you want, you should fight for that. And you should absolutely fight for that because you're right. If women don't do it, women don't get in the rooms. And so, but there's also the choice to move towards something else and to create something where it does feel right and it does feel supportive because it takes, gosh, I mean, how many people does it take to help you run a business? I mean, oh my gosh. you know, people you hire, but also people that you don't hire, you know, every friend that you sit and talk to at dinner complaining about, you know, how you're confused about this or that or your partner or, you know, how many people support you along that way that's what you're choosing to do because, and these people are propping you up and helping you along the way. It's, yeah. it's just the way it works. And that's great. That's amazing. So I, I totally, it's not, there's not one answer to this because everybody has their own situation, but mm. it's, it's tough. It's tough out there. I like, I like the idea though. And I, I talk about this. So I think I've mentioned this on the podcast probably a million times, um, but I, I I teach entrepreneurship at NYU and also at Rice University. And one of the things that I I say mainly at NYU is that, you know, we we do a lot of self-reflection before we even get to any of the business stuff. Mm -hmm. And I always say to everybody, like, you need to know yourself because no matter what, you 
show up in your business. Yeah. And so if you have like self-sabotaging behavior, if you are a procrastinator, if you are a perfectionist, that is going to show up in your business and it's going to prevent your business from being as successful as it could be otherwise. So figure your, you know, excuse me, figure your shit out (laughs) and at least be aware of it. Yeah. So that it doesn't stop you. It doesn't blindside you. It doesn't like, why am I not, you know, putting in this sales order or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So what can we do as women entrepreneurs to really get that sense of awareness? Either, you know, if we've started our business already or if we're, you know, thinking about starting a, a business. And then something we also talked about to just kind of weave into this is there is a lot of anxiety around starting a business, growing a business, getting new clients. How can we, how can we, you know, realize who we are and what some of our patterns of behavior are and almost see maybe the the good side of some of these quote unquote unhelpful characteristics? Good question. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm like, wow, we should, we should put that somewhere. You made me think about when I was training to be a counseling psychologist in London, part of what the reason I was drawn to counseling psychology is because I had to be in therapy the entire time I was training. That was a requirement. I would highly recommend to anyone, if you can find a counseling psychologist, that is, because not all of the modalities require that. So we are drawn to therapy. I've never met a person who is a therapist that doesn't have their own trauma, and we're drawn to it because of that, I believe. And it is essential requirement that you figure that shit out before <laughs> you start helping other people because I can't bring my crap into the room with someone else. And so I had to figure that all out. So three years of therapy, fantastic. Lots of tissue boxes. It was all good. <laughs> but then fast forward, you know, you start running a business. And so to me, where's my consistent support and training through that? For all these things that happen, you know, yeah. the procrastination, the perfectionism, the self-sabotage, the lack of boundaries. That's a big one. Yep. Where does, where's the support and, you know, kind of aid as we walk through that? And I think I was just talking to somebody before this, a woman that I met that is runs her own uh, yoga studio. And she was talking about, you can't do yoga like consistently and then stop say, I'm done now, I'm all good, and expect the benefits to continue. You have to, you never stop doing yoga. Mm-hmm. Same as Pilates or any exercise. You know, I have a Peloton. You get off your Peloton for two weeks, you get back on, it's like you you, know, you don't, but it feels like you're starting over. These are things that always require maintenance. We don't expect to stay fit. You don't expect your teeth to stay in your mouth if you don't clean them. Mm-hmm. So we don't use these tools for our mental health and for we don't use a support and tools to help us through this process. So you start to feel anxious about things. I mean, gosh, is that like so common for a business owner? You know, we're anxious about everything. Mm-hmm. I just did a workshop on using anxiety as a roadmap. And I absolutely am not talking about debilitating panic attacks where people, there's a difference between that. But I'm talking about that kind of garden variety anxiety. You know, it keeps you up at night. You're thinking about things. You're worried. What if we, instead of 
thinking that, oh, I can't feel anxious anymore and doing something like drinking or, you know, whatever, some obsessive behavior that doesn't necessarily do anything but mask it. What if we looked at that anxiety and said, oh, I'm really anxious about this presentation. What am I anxious about? Well, I'm anxious that the topic is something I'm not familiar with. What can I do about that then? Mm. Do some research, make myself more familiar. I'm worried about my presentation skills. I realize I say um too much. Maybe get a, a coach, maybe practice, maybe join Toastmasters, do something. So breaking it down and say, what is, what is this anxiety about? What is it telling me? Mm. And using it, you know, actually to move you forward. Noticing that your perfectionism comes from a place where you really, really feel like you have to please everyone. Well, where does mm. that come from? Well, back when I, you know, start understanding yourself. Because once mm. you start understanding yourself, you can't un-understand yourself, you know? Right. That starts to pop in everywhere. And you think, oh, look there, I did it again. And it's always about positive reinforcement. Oh, notice that you did it. What can you do differently? And try it the next time. I always tell yeah. people, this is just a daily kind of practice for me. You know, I am never going to be cooked. I don't feel like I'm ever done with this stuff. It's just about mm. maintenance, trying to keep yourself mentally healthy and noticing when things go a little bit off kilter, do you need, maybe there's a good book you like to read. Maybe there's a good friend. Maybe there is, you know, some exercise or something that really helps you. And then sometimes maybe you need a therapist to kind of help highlight these things. Mm. So actually, I think this is probably such a great place to to start wrapping up. And I unexpectedly feel incredibly calm right now, which is there were a lot of realizations that I have had over the course of this conversation that hit me in a way that I didn't expect. So thank you for doing something that you probably didn't even realize that you were doing. But this idea, and it's simple, but I don't know why I haven't kind of put this together for myself, like this idea of maintenance I, I have the word written down, circled, and starred. I, and I love how you said, you know, I'm never going to be cooked, right? Like I, you're always baking. And I go to yoga and I am all in with the philosophy of it's a practice, right? It's different every single time. You never get it right. And, you know, some days you feel amazing and some days you're like, get me out of here, but you're practicing. To apply that same perspective or philosophy to your mental health is like, I don't know why I never thought of it, but it's like, that's like revolutionary to me right now. Well, it isn't talk like about like that. It isn't, I plan to talk about that. <laughs> you know, this idea that, Society doesn't talk about it that way. That it's it's I'm broken if I look at if I get therapy. There's something wrong with me. So sorry you have to do that. That you're not strong enough to do it by yourself. That's the philosophy. That's what gets mm -hmm. preached out there. And us therapists don't help it because for years now it's just this idea that we kind of are cloaked in secrecy. Right? There's this quiet yeah. secrecy around us and. You don't really meet in networking groups. I never meet another therapist. I don't know where they are, but they're not networking. They, you know, they do their work and they do it quietly and it's all shrouded in secrecy. Mm. And I'm just tired of it because I think that has absolute, absolutely 
it's the way in which, if you think about it, if something you don't understand and the only thing you see maybe is through movies or through, uh, you know, something, other media sources, but for you, you've never thought about it. Of course, you wouldn't think of it like the way you mm. think of Pilates. Pilates is really good at marketing themselves that way. Yeah. Therapy, not so much. And it's just not, you know, we, we let you think whatever you want to think. And then meanwhile, you watch the latest movie where a serial killer is in therapy. You know, that's, yeah. that's the person. That's <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer needs therapy, not, not me, you know. Right. And so that's the misconception. So we're left to think we have to struggle on our own. You know, mm. we have to just live through this anxiety. We just have to live through this stuff and just get up every day and try harder. And it's the opposite of true, you know. Oh, my goodness. So this also is such a perfect segue because this is what your brand new podcast is all about, right? Therapy Deconstructed. Can you just talk a little bit about your podcast and, you know, where people can find you, where they can get in touch with you? Any resources that you can offer up to our community would be so helpful. Yeah. So uh, thanks to somebody in this room. I do have a brand new thera- uh, therapist. I have a brand new <laughs> podcast. And thanks to you because I, it's been a dream. It's been an absolute dream of mine. Another thing I had no idea how to do, scared me to death, still does. And so met you and you said those wonderful words up on your stage of your conference. And you said, anybody looking to do a podcast need some help? And I went, what? <laughs> it, it was just like, you know, that magic moment. Um, mm-hmm. And it's been an absolute joy working with you because you just don't make me feel dumb. <laughs> <about the things. laughs> so, yeah, we launched it on the 1st of March, uh, Therapy Deconstructed. I danced around all day. I'm still dancing around. We're going to do it the first Wednesday of every month. You can find it everywhere you find podcasts, I suppose, right? Kind yes. Of, yeah. And you came up with the name. It was, which is proof of how our connection, because you got it from the beginning, you got it, what I wanted to say. Mm. So it's about the idea of what do you think therapy is? How do you think it works? And then I'm going to bust through all those myths. Love it so much. Just busting through those false beliefs about what you think. And actually, I'm working on the one for next month. And that's, I'm listing a lot of the myths. Mm. that people trying to get people's uh, what do you think when you think of therapy and then just sort of kind of talk about those misconceptions that really come down to people thinking it's 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 something that means you're weak and that you can't do things for yourself and it's the opposite Mm. vulnerability is strength you know thank you Brene Brown (laughs) yes (laughs) she's come up a couple of times and so if people want to hire you, talk to you, see if they're a fit for you? How can they get in touch with you? Right. So all kinds of ways. On my uh, website, you can certainly book an appointment. I have my calendar on my website, which is just bonniewims.com. I'm on all the socials, Bonnie Wims. So my website is the, probably the best way then. Uh, or my email, you can just email me. It's bonnie at whims, whims which is my last name, whims and associates.com. I love it. Well, Bonnie, Dr. Bonnie Wims, I am so grateful to you for spending this time with me and the sugar-coated audience. Like I said before, I took away so much from this conversation that 
was unexpected. So thank you so much for just kind of sharing your wisdom with me and with everybody. For everybody listening, you have to tune in to Therapy Deconstructed. I mean, the first episode and the first two episodes are stellar. And I I can't wait to now listen to the, you know, the therapy myth busting episode that's coming up. So everybody like, follow, give five star reviews, everything that you can do. Dr. Bonnie Wims, Therapy Deconstructed. And just thank you so very much again. And I will definitely have you back on the show in a couple of months. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. This was a ton of fun. Thank you. The She Leads Podcast Network.